reading is from the book of John chapter 1. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Jesus is the Christ, period. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. For all the greatness of John the Baptist, for all the wisdom, powerful work, and changed lives, John is clear. Do not confuse me with the one who is much greater than I, Jesus Christ. Like John, we who believe are to live our lives so that all we do point others to Christ. For, John, for as John says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you give us the insight to follow the example of John the Baptist and place you before all other in our life. May the power of your Holy Spirit be with us now. Amen. Thank you, Kelly family. Good morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, Merry Christmas. And would you join me in thanking our worship team and our technicians that made this wonderful worship experience happen for us today. Now, you may have already seen it on Facebook or YouTube, but on November 13th, this last November, in a mall at a food court, this happened. I know 
right there in the midst of the ATM and the famous walk and Arby's and Subway. Shopping bags all around. There are those words. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise. And on and on it goes. And you're just going to tell that just something, something deep down inside of those people began to stir something vaguely, vaguely familiar about those words in their spirit that goes beyond the marketplace. Reaching out and as if their spirit's reaching out and saying, we've almost grasped it. We're finding reality amidst all of this, this, this fakery that's around us. But then they end and it's done. And they go back to their shopping and their eating and their talking and their status quo. I want us to mess up the status quo. Somebody's tired of shopping. <laughs> now, you saw the, the sermon topic, and you saw the title, and you go, oh, man, don't spend and, and, and spend less. And, 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 and so I just want to tell you that I'm not here to steal your Christmas. I am not the Grinch. <laughs> I'm not here to steal your Christmas. I'm asking you to help me fill it. So I'm asking you to become a conspirator. We have a definition for you. It's a group of people planning or agreeing in secret to commit an illegal or subversive act. Against whom? Against the culture. You say, I, I don't know if I can, I can be like that. Yes, you can because it's in your DNA. It is your heritage. I want to show you that this morning. You have built within you the ability to rebel against a culture that is anti-Jesus. It's in you. So let me take you back to the first century. And here's what Luke, a physician, in, that, in those early years, here's what he said. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, and so he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is a big deal. This is the Roman Empire. This is a big census. This is a huge empire. It stretched at that moment that this was talked about and written. It stretched from what we know as Turkey today to England. This census said all should be counted. And it was a power play by Rome for they wanted to tighten their grip on the known world. And in the center of this effort, this power play, is this insignificant baby laying in a manger. God's born in barns mess up the status quo. When Jesus shows up, everything gets turned right side up because Jesus' existence forces the issue. Who rules? Remember what happened when the Magi, the wise men, showed up asking for the new king? Remember the question that they asked Herod? Matthew records it in Matthew 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed, and circle that, disturbed, when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. King Herod is freaked out. Why? You know, the wording there means to be agitated, and actually it, it's the, really the words meaning the rolling of water. Ever been on Lake Erie when the wind's picked up? 
and the waves got big. That was what was disturbing. It was like that. It was agitating inside of him and all of Jerusalem. Why? Because this is Roman territory. And Herod, ah, oh, Herod, he's b -b 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 bad to the bone. The guy is horrible. He is a puppet, a king puppet for the Roman Empire. Therefore, if he can please them, he's fine, and he can rule and overrule as much as he wants to, as long as he does what Rome wants. Therefore, he keeps as much peace, but he has firm grip. And anybody who threatens his rule, he will annihilate, including his favorite wife and their two children. Wipe them out. And shortly, he will send out his elite five miles outside of Jerusalem to the place called the House of Bread, Bethlehem, and kill every child, every son, age two and under. It was a small town, and probably about 12, 13 families found that evening grief as their sons were killed. Why? Because it had everything to do with who rules. This deadly control was not just felt in Bethlehem, but about the time that Jesus was born, about 2,000 Roman rebels were crucified in one swift action of revenge by the Roman Empire. Rome is in charge. There is no doubt. Resist and you die. But amazingly, in the middle of this movement of power, there arose a rebellion, a countercultural movement. There were some who began openly standing against Rome and the Caesars. Julius Caesar had an adopted son. His name was Octavian. When Julius died, Octavian convinced the Roman Empire that Julius was a god and should be worshipped. And so they did, which was no big deal because there were a whole lot of gods in Rome. Just add one more. But if Julius Caesar is a god, then Octavian, who is his son, is a son of God. So when he assumed the throne in 27 BC, he changed his name from Octavian to Augustus, a name of divinity and majesty. Now during that time, the poets, including Virgil, began to declare that there was coming a child, a boy who would be born, who would become the mediator between heaven and earth. That he would change the human condition. That he would bring peace and hope to the world. And therefore, Augustus said, it's me. I'm the one. And I will lead the Roman Empire and conquer the world and give it this universal peace. And so soon, in the pagan temples around the Roman Empire, you would find statues of Augustus. There were a group of priests that gathered together who were trained to lead in worship of Augustus. The communities that would gather together to worship this Lord Caesar were called the Ecclesia. That was the name given them. When a town was conquered, they would put up monuments to declare the, the, the glory of Augustus. There is a historian. His name is Ethelbert Stauffer. How many here are named Ethelbert? Now, I'm not an expert in parenting, but I would just like to say to you this morning that if you have a child, don't name them Ethelbert. They're going to have issues. Well, Ethelbert didn't have issues. This one didn't. So he, he believed that if he could study the coinage of the Roman Empire, he could find what they believed and what their culture stated. And therefore, he dug in. And I want to show you some of the phrases he found on the coins of Rome. Salvation is to be found in none other than Augustus. There is no other name given to men through which they can be saved. Caesar is what? Lord. The celebration of Caesar's birth was called the 12 days of Advent. And while Augustus tightens his grip of power with this census, 
A baby is born in Bethlehem, whom angels have declared his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. There is a clash of worlds about to happen. Cultures who will smash into one another. Who rules? And so a conspiracy begins. Rome gets word that there's a collection of Jews who have believed that a rabbi they followed who had been executed, who had been crucified by Rome, had died but risen again. And that there were 500 witnesses to say that it had happened. And that this one called Jesus, they were declaring, is Lord. Not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And the community gathering together to worship him, they called Ecclesia. They even sent letters to other cities in the Roman Empire encouraging them to worship Jesus as Lord. One of them who led this group, his name was Peter. He was from the Sea of Galilee, that area. And they said that he could do miracles. And having been arrested for insurrection, he stood before his captors and he said this. Now see if you recognize these words. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Take that, Rome. Standing there, overtly rebelling. A conspirator. Defying the culture and the Caesar and the empire. Even taking Rome's own political propaganda and taking out Caesar's name and putting in Jesus' name. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not peace, Jesus is peace. Caesar is not hope, Jesus is hope. And here's the problem. In Rome, you can worship Caesar and you can worship Jesus and you can worship Zeus and you can worship whoever you want to because they are so open-minded. You can worship, but there's only one who is Lord and that's Caesar. And you cannot just have one you worship if Caesar's not that one. And they were saying only Jesus should be worshiped and only Jesus is Lord and that is treason. No wonder Nero and Domitian hated the Jews. Domitian was an interesting guy. He reminds me of, of this thing I heard about, and it could be a legend about, about uh, the Green Bay Packers' great coach, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi had, had had a long day of practice, and he had crawled into bed, and this was at the apex of his, of his popularity. He crawled into bed with his wife, and he had been gone for all day, and he crawled in, and his feet were cold. And she's turned, and she said, God, your feet are cold. And he said, honey, well, as long as we're in private, you can call me Vince. Domitian required his wife to call him my Lord and my God. Now, guys, I'm not an expert in marriage. But you go ahead and try that and see what happens. So can you imagine the response when Mary is visited by Gabriel the angel and he tells her what she is about to hear and she does not keep it to herself because we know Luke recorded it. And here's what she says, Luke 1.32. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That is what's being stated in the middle of the Roman Empire. You can get killed for those words. But you see, Mary understood who rules. So it's at this moment, at this moment, that just like Mary, at this Christmas time, when we're contemplating all of this, that we must understand that Christmas demands we preset who rules. Because we're still dealing with Caesars. We're still tempted to go and bow at their altar, the altar of youth, the altar of, of health, the altar of sex, the altar of money, the altar of title. In fact, whatever it is that we think will satisfy, it, satisfy us, that's our Caesar. So my question to us today is, what are your Caesars? Right now, we are battling at this time of the year 
the Caesar of buying, the kingdom of more, the empire of overspending. Just a little more, just, just one more gift, one, just one more thing will give me peace, will it? Again, I'm not trying to be Scrooge or the Grinch today, but let me just talk some common sense into us. But you just say one more charge, just, I just charge one more. Do you know that 50% of the people who are charging today for their Christmas gifts have not yet paid off last year's? Why? Because last year's didn't bring them peace. So they're going to try this year's. You say, oh, wait, 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 I figured it out. I know now because I've been listening to the commercials and I've got to figure it out. Every kiss begins with, okay, if I can do that, then it'll all be peaceful. And last year, when I found that brand new car in my driveway with the big bow on it and it didn't give me peace, I realized now because I've watched the commercials and now I realize that the car actually has to be inside the house on my marble floor and then I'm okay. No, 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 I got to figure it out. If I just go to the doorbusters at four in the morning, what are you, nuts? You say, but it'll never be a price like that. Do you even know what price we're paying? Do you know that we will spend, Americans will spend in this Christmas season approximately $475 billion? Wow. And yet, I have never yet heard anyone ever say, my children are so at peace because of the gifts I gave them last year. What do they want? They want more. The empire is lying to us. The Caesar of consumerism is not Lord. So listen to God's cry to us in the middle of this season with this Caesar declaring his truth. God says, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. <clears throat> All that overspending is just stressing us out. It, it, it's not filling us because it's just it's one more. Ooh, ooh, did you see the sale at Kohl's? Ooh, ooh. There's always going to be sales. But, 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 but you don't understand, there will never be a price like this one. So? It is not helping us be contented. In fact, it's diminishing our contentment. So he said, seek the Lord. And what that really means for us today is go to him and say, here, you're Lord. You be Lord of this situation. Decide who rules. And even in our spending, would you join with me and let's decide who rules our spending. And if it's the Lord, can I give us some help this morning on how to do that? First of all, believe Jesus, not the commercials. Now, we know that Santa has a list and he's checking it twice, so I want to encourage you to make a list. And check it as much as you want, but I want you to take that list, and I want you, and if you're a family, I want you, a husband and wife, or, or whoever's part of your, your, your family unit, to just take that list and, and go before Jesus and just say, here's our list. You say, really? Well, yeah, yeah. Take your list and put it right there and say, Jesus, here's the list. What do you think of that list? Because Jesus may say to you, well, you're doing so much that you won't have any peace during this season. So something's wrong because I'm the Prince of Peace. So there's a problem here. You know that gift you're buying for that person because if you buy it for them, they're going to really think you're cool? I got news for you. If they don't think you're cool by now, a gift's not changing it. So face it, you're not cool. Just embrace your non-coolness. You know, if I buy that gift for my kids, they'll love me. No, they won't. They'll use you. And, and, and I'm so afraid because my kids' friends are all getting this, and I've got to match what, what are you, buying so they don't hate you? There's an issue. Just take that list and lay it there, and together, together, strategize. It's really tough for us to change who we are, but I'm going to tell you, when you take your life, your heart, your list, and you lay it before Jesus and say, here, what do you want to do? Jesus will change your heart. 
So I'm telling you, some of you are in the middle of shopping. Take the remainder of that list and just lay it there. You may have to take some stuff back. On my birthday, last month, my wife, and she's so cool. We were, we were walking through stores, and I was looking at, at some flat-screen TVs for the bedroom because, I, because it's a flat-screen TV. I can see God how much better, so much better with, with the flat-screen TV. And so she did research, and she did incredible. She found the, it was a great deal, best deal in the city, because I checked later to see if she did it right. She did it right. And so I took it out of the box. I put it up. We got it all set to go, and, it, and, it's, and it's there. We even had a friend come over to make sure that, that I could get the clarity of the screen. And, and, and so we went to all of that, and there it is, and, and it's sitting on the dresser. And for two days, I'm looking at it thinking, but why? And I'm just, and so I did, I did something really stupid. I said, Jesus, what do you think of the TV? He said, do you need it? I said, is there anyone there besides you that I could talk to? <laughs> because I had another TV. It's not flat screen. It's one of those big bulky things. But it, it's like the same picture. Same things coming through. I said, Pam, you did such a great job, and I love the gift. And, and, but I think this, the money could be used elsewhere. And she said, I think you're right. So I packed it all back up, and I'm just hoping I took it back to the store, and it was all in the packing material, because I checked it. It was all back in the same packing material, and they took it back. So just ask Jesus, what do you think of my list? Secondly, buy relationally. The word that they said that Jesus would be called was Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us. Not God sending stuff to us, but God with us. May I encourage us to give with meaning? Let everything that you give be with meaning, relational meaning, relational connection. What is it stating to the person? Because I'm going to tell you, giving a bunch of stuff does not prove love. My kids are in that stage of life where they're poor. They just are, and we're letting them be poor. They made us poor. They can be poor. <laughs> so, so at Christmas time, we don't expect a bunch of stuff from them. And the coolest gifts, the coolest gifts are the ones when they show up, and I open up an envelope and a certificate that says, good, for one night with Dad at the movies. That is so cool. I get to hang with my kids. Relational gifts, the time with each other. I want to encourage you to give everything with meaning and no overspending. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, but I got, no. In fact, let me just get you off the hook. You know those parties you have where everybody exchanges gifts? Stop it. Just be with each other. Write each other a note of expression of thanks and love and, and what you like about the person. But quit doing the stuff with the gifts. You don't need to do that because you go out of there going, oh, I gave him and they gave me. and I just What? Just stop doing it. Unless you want to give me something, then that's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, teach your kids what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So would you just give time, give relational connection. And thirdly, celebrate Jesus' heart. To resist the Caesar of consumerism and commercialism, let's base our actions on the heart of Jesus. And Mary, after she's met her cousin Elizabeth, and, and they have this great celebration that she's carrying this, this wonderful Emmanuel God with us. Then there's this, this thing called Mary's Magnificat. There's this expression of Mary, and in it she says this, expressing the heart of God. Luke 1:52. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud, the starving poor sat down to a banquet, and the, ca- banquet and the callous rich were left out in the cold. What she's simply saying is that Jesus heads. He heads out for those people on the outer circle, to the outcast. He champions the poor. He embraces the marginalized. 
He runs to the least of these. And as we learn to spend less, we open our hearts to become the heart of Jesus and we give more. So I'm not letting you out of here without giving you a challenge. And here's the challenge. Join Pam and me. As this Christmas, we have determined that we are going to spend less and we're going to try to save some people's lives. I told you that we will spend in America $475 billion. Did you know that in our world today, just in Africa alone, 6,000 people die every day because of waterborne illnesses? You say, oh, yeah, yeah. No, but let's put that in perspective. We all got freaked out, and, and we still mourned the loss of life at 9-11, and there were about 3,000. Now double that every day and feel that pain. And most of them are children. Do you know what it would take to solve all of those water issues in the world today? Oh, $475 billion? No. 4% of that. For every $100, if we took just $4, every hundred, just four, we would solve the problem. They guess that most families will spend about $800 for Christmas. What's 4% of 800? 32? $32 would solve it? Is that not the heart of Jesus? So let's do that. I'm going to encourage you to start setting aside because on Christmas Eve, we're going to take an offering in here and we are going to give that so that we can put a water well in a place where children are dying right now. Would that not be the heart of Jesus? And if you say, I'm not going to be here Christmas Eve, well, you can still give it. We'll still take it. Find a way to get it to us. You know, we have some really good friends of this church who, this really is their home church, John and Sandy Bongiorno. They're with us this morning, and, and John is the president of World Serve. World Serve is focused on eliminating this water problem in the world. And we've invited him to come today to tell you where we're going to put a water well and what a difference it's going to make. Would you please welcome John Bongiorno? Thank you, Pastor. It's wonderful to be back at Erie First. I've learned so many valuable lessons, Pastor Jack, from this church. Three things that I can think of. I learned the spirit of service. I was a 17-year-old boy when I started attending Erie First. I had the privilege of really having a special relationship with the Holy Spirit that took place right here in this building that radically changed my life. And I'm eternally grateful for Erie First and what it's done. And out of that, I learned the spirit of service. When in 1992, I led a team out of this church to go to Africa. And uh, that changed my life entirely. As I look around this place and see so many familiar faces, Ron and Bruce and Carl, I was talking this morning, I learned the spirit of service from Erie First. I've had the opportunity to lead lots of people on missions trips to Africa. And on one of those trips, I saw the water crisis. And I said, we can do something about this. So today, I want to tell you that we have several drilling rigs, seven of them right now in Tanzania alone, that are daily providing clean water to people who are suffering. What Pastor Jack just talked about, 6,000 children that die every day because they don't have clean water. We are doing something about it. And because I learned so much of the spirit of service in this church, I can tell you that we've had the privilege of drilling. It's now in the multiple hundreds, it's in the thousands, and providing close to a million people clean water in Jesus' name in the past several years. I also learned, Pastor, about sharing from Erie First. So many times we were challenged to do something. We were challenged to share our resources with other people who were in need. And I'm thankful that, that 
that spirit and what you're challenging people to do, the spirit of sharing is still strong, it's still vibrant, it's still making a difference. And can I tell you a little bit about the people that we want to help with this water project? There are two groups of people in Tanzania that some have heard about the Maasai people. They wear the red blankets, they're pastoralists. We have a project with them I'm going to tell you about. There's another group of people called the Datoga people. The Datoga people, there's about 250,000. They're one of the great unreached people groups in Tanzania. They have a problem with access to clean and safe water. I had the privilege of, of, of drilling one of the first water wells in this region. Very difficult place to reach. Very, very difficult uh, place. It took literally days to get our drilling rig down there. And Sandy and I, just a few weeks ago, had the privilege of going to see this water project that we're working with among the Datoga people. The Datoga people are very superstitious. They're a culture that's ruled by the witch doctor. There's a missionary that has given herself to go to work among these 250,000 people that are spread out in this vast, dry, and thirsty land. We went with them just a few weeks ago to see the difference that a water well is making. In fact, the Totoga people, five out of every ten of their children will die before they reach the age of five, most often from waterborne illness. Think of it. Less than one percent of the Totoga people can read or write. And less than one percent have ever heard the gospel. But because we put that water well down among those Totoga people, now it's starting to open up. And I was recently on a survey where we surveyed 14 other villages, never heard the gospel. They don't have access to clean water. And we have committed ourselves with the Tanzania Assemblies of God, who's willing to send national missionaries down there to reach these people. I'm asking you this morning to consider during this holiday season of sharing to consider the Datoga people. Let's do something to help them. Let me take you to a village called Lobosoit Village. Among the Maasai people, there was no church there. Several years ago, God laid it upon our heart to build a health center there. There was no health care available, and people would walk miles and miles to be able to get access to some medicine that could save the lives of their children, most of them sick from waterborne illness. We've had the privilege of working there year after year, and last month I took one of the members of this congregation to see that project, Pastor, among the Maasai people. Dr. David Overary, I think you're back there. Just wave. You see him? He's back in this corner. And he saw the difference that clean water is making. He saw the difference a health care clinic can make in a region like this. And Dr. David and another doctor and a group of nurses and medical people ministered to over 800 Maasai people in that short period of time. There's a desperate water crisis there. They've asked us, can you bring us more water wells? I believe on Christmas Eve you're going to take that offering, and we're going to be able to go to that village and provide a cup of water in Jesus' name. And then, Pastor, I learned another thing here at First Assembly. I learned about sacrifice. Many of you know my father. He's preached from this pulpit many times. My mother has Alzheimer's now. And mom requires full-time, round-the-clock care. My dad is at that nursing facility eight to ten hours every single day. He hardly ever leaves her side. I said to him, Dad, how do you do it? What a sacrifice. And he said to me, it's not a sacrifice. This woman here is everything to me. I love her. He said, to whom much is given, much is required. Your mother always stood with me. She supported my ministry. It's not a sacrifice for me to be able to spend time with her. It's my joy. It's my privilege. I'm reminded of the story in the Bible where David was in a cave in Adullam. And the Philistines, the enemies, 
were in his hometown, Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea. And David was thirsting for some water. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water. He was just dreaming about, you know, the home cooking, how good it is. You know, a drink of water from my home there in Bethlehem. He was thinking about that. Some of his mighty men, men of valor, heard David. And they risked their lives, and they went to Bethlehem where the Philistines had encamped. And there they drew water from the well of Bethlehem. And they brought that forward. And they brought it to David. And they said, David, our king, here is the water from Bethlehem. And he looked at that. And he said, how could I ever drink this water? These men risked their blood, their life for me. And David took that water and he poured it out as a sacrifice to God. I'm reminded of the son of David from Bethlehem born who did the same thing. He poured out his life as a sacrifice because he loves us and he cares for us. Friends, today, people are suffering. They need clean water. But even more than that, they need the living water, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll help us to be able to go to these dry places and to be able to take and give these people a cup of clean water in Jesus' precious name. It will change their lives. God has called this church with its great history continue to to serve, to share, and to sacrifice. And friends, as we pour out of ourselves, as we give what God has given us, think of the difference that we will make in the lives of others. May God bless you. So who rules? Can we be conspirators together? Can we take on the challenge of the Caesars of consumerism and the the kingdom of of spending and the empire of of more? Can we do that? Can Can we be the heart of Jesus? So I think any good organization, any good group of conspirators need a good theme song. And so this morning we're going to end by singing our theme song as we agree together that we are going to be Advent conspirators and that we are going to spend less and we are going to give so that people can live. And that you're going to collect together some dollars and put them together and on Christmas Eve we're going to get a water well. And we're going to save a bunch of people. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And don't go anywhere, just stand. And so, I'm not taking a vote. I'm going to tell you what the theme song is. I don't care what you think. This is the theme song for us as conspirators. It's called the Hallelujah Chorus. Because we are going to declare who rules. And I can't think of any better song that declares who rules. So we're going to sing that now. And as we sing it, some of you have been in choirs in the past and you know parts, so sing your parts. Some of you sing all the parts. Go ahead, sing all the parts. Some of you are tone deaf. We're going to make this loud enough that no one will hear you. But I want you to sing. And when we get to the end of it, I want you to do what they did at the, at the food court because we're going to declare this for the marketplace that we are not going to be sucked into this year's consumerism, but instead we're going to let Jesus direct. So when we get to the end, I just want you to raise your hands in adoration and I'll come and we'll dismiss. And if you want to know more, I've got I to tell you, if you want to know more about this Jesus we talked about this morning, before you go, stop by our information desk. We have a gift for you that will tell you how to find a relationship with God through Jesus. And we'll be, answer any questions you have because we don't want you to leave without knowing that. So... I think we're ready. You ready to sing? Hallelujah chorus. Belt it out. I want to hear it because you are the choir. Hit it, guys.